All right, you can turn to the book of Acts. Well, this morning we're going to start the book of Acts. So a, a few years ago I was cleaning out closets, which you have to do all the time with little kids because they have so much stuff, just tons of stuff. So you're always cleaning out closets to make more room for all their stuff. And I got to this box that was full of old yearbooks. Yearbooks are, are big, they're heavy, they're bulky, they take up a lot of room, but I couldn't bring myself to throw them away. Now, it wasn't because of the quality of the photos in them. I mean, yearbook photography is not like the pinnacle of that art form. And yearbook photos, they weren't even flattering when you were in high school. Your yearbook photo didn't look great. And now I'm 20 years out of high school. They don't look great at all. I look at those photos and I wonder, why did I ever think that a bowl cut and Z Cavaricis and big old Doc Martens, why, why was that ever cool to any of us? Now, just so you know, Julie actually found some of my pictures and scanned them in, but I didn't put them in PowerPoint because I'm not that confident with you yet. So maybe we'll get there at some point and I will show you the pictures that my wife scanned in from me in high school, but not yet. But, but you look at a yearbook and it's not the photos that, that make you keep it. And it's certainly not the story. It's not like the quality of the writing. It's not like Charles Dickens in your yearbook. The reason you keep yearbooks year after year is because you are in it. It is your story. You don't have a box full of random yearbooks from random high schools. You got your your yearbook from your high school because you are in it. It is your story. We care more about a story that we are in. We care more about stories that are about us. I'll give you a couple examples. So I don't know how your parents met, and frankly, I don't really care to know. But I do know how my parents met because that led to me, and I care about that. Okay, so I care about stories that, that I'm in, that I'm part of. Another example, go to Barnes & Noble and look on their history shelves for books about World War II, and you will find 10 books about American soldiers for every one book about Russian or, or French soldiers. It's very few books about the Russian front lines or the French resistance, not because those things aren't important, but because most of us are not Russian or French. We're American. We like to read stories that are about our history. You care more about a story when it's your story. And so this morning, as we enter into the book of Acts, the most important thing that I want you to understand about the book of Acts, most important thing I want you to get this morning, is that the book of Acts is not just a a history book. It's not just a record of of people who lived 2,000 years ago and, and events that happened on the other side of the planet. The book of Acts is your story. Acts is about the church, and you are the church, so this book is about you. This is our story that we're looking at this morning, a story that God wrote about us for two reasons. The reasons that the book of Acts is is in your Bible, it's not by accident, it's not just random filler material of a bunch of cool stories, it's there for, for two reasons. God has given us, the church, our story in the book of Acts for reason number one, to give us courage. The book of Acts is designed by God to give you courage because Acts is a triumphant book. I'll just give away the ending. It's it's a triumphant, it ends in victory. The church, which is real little, grows all the way to the heart of the Roman Empire. It's a courageous book. It's a triumphant book. Now think again about the the shelves at Barnes & Noble and all these history books. Why are there so many more books about World War II than about Vietnam? 
because we won World War II. We like to read about World War II. The world was, was just awful. America stepped in and we won. And we like that story because it gives us courage. It gives us confidence. If the world falls apart again, America can step in and we can get it done. We like stories of victory. Well, that's Acts. Acts is a triumphant story, a victorious story, because God takes this this thing called the church and he grows it from a little backwater town, Jerusalem. We think of it as like a big city. It wasn't back then. It was a real backwater town in a small part of the empire. He takes the church from a few people living in this tiny little town all the way throughout the whole earth to the heart of the Roman Empire, to Rome itself. The church expands explosively in the book of Acts. That is despite intense persecution. Acts is actually a violent book. A lot of blood, a lot of death in the book of Acts because the world and Satan are throwing all kinds of hostility against the church, against God. And yet every time the world or the devil attack the church, God takes their persecution and turns it to our advantage. God is really, really creative in the book of Acts. He uses everything thrown against us for our growth, for our good. He just keeps taking the best that Satan can do and working it out for the advantage and growth of the church. And so despite all of this violence and all of this persecution, the church grows to the heart of the Roman Empire. Acts is a triumphant book. And so God has given us this book so that as we read it, we can remember that just as God was working back then, so he is working today. The church won in Acts, it's going to win today. God is going to take his people, his church, and expand us throughout the world and bring his kingdom to the whole world, just like he did back then, so he is working today. So Acts is a triumphant book that's meant to give us courage in the face of any opposition, just as God worked back then, so he is working today. So Acts, it's it's there in your Bible because it's God's gift to you to give you courage, that's number one, and number two, give you significance, Significance, because the book of Acts is not yet finished. Guys, you're going to have to click this for me on the PowerPoint. Gives us significance. The book of Acts is designed to end in a cliffhanger. If you read the book of Acts, you know it doesn't have an ending. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in Rome awaiting trial before Caesar, and you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know what happened to Paul, what happened to Peter, what happened to Barnabas, what happened to the church. It doesn't tell you why, because Acts is not yet finished. God is still writing the book of Acts. He is still writing the history of the church today in us. One of the biggest church planning organizations in the world right now is called Acts 29. Well, that's funny because there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. What they're trying to point to is the fact that right now, as we plant campuses, as we plant churches, we are writing Acts 29. God is continuing the story that began in Acts 1. It's talking about how the church is continuing to grow. So Acts is not finished. It's, it's our story. We are in it. It's continuing to be written through us and through our lives. And that gives us significance. Do you want to live a significant life? Do you want to live a life that actually counts for something beyond the 80 years or so that you get on this planet? Well, there's a way to live a significant life. It's to be written into this eternal story. It's to join with 
Paul and Peter and Barnabas and Mark to take the gospel to all nations to be written into the pages of Acts chapter 29. That's what God is doing in the world right now. And you can have significance in your life if you will become part of that story. God will write you into Acts 29. So this book, it gives us courage to trust God even when we face opposition and it solves our problem of significance. It shows us how to live eternally significant lives, becoming part of this ongoing story. So the book of Acts, it is your story, but but what exactly is it about? What does God want us to learn from the book of Acts? What's the plot of it? Well, we learn right at the beginning. We're going to look at the first half of chapter 1. So if you look at chapter 1, we're going to read the first 11 verses. Here at the beginning, we get a sense of the book as a whole. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The book of Acts, it begins with a bang. Jesus ascends into heaven. What do we know about this this story, this book? Well, it was written by a man named Luke, same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. Actually, Luke and Acts is part one and part two of the same story. They would have been one book if they had scrolls long enough. They're each one scroll long. Okay, so Luke, he wrote Luke, and then he wrote Acts, part one, part two of one story that goes all the way from the birth of Jesus to the victory of Jesus's church. Okay, so we're looking today at the book of Acts. It was written to a man named Theophilus. We don't really know anything about him except it's through him that we get the book. Okay, so we've gotten this book through Theophilus, this book of Acts. What is this book about? Well, the the big idea of the book of Acts, it is about the unstoppable growth of God's kingdom. The unstoppable growth of God's kingdom. That word kingdom appears twice in the verses that we read. And in verse 3, we're told that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God with his disciples for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. I don't know about you, but... I really wish I could have been there for that. That would have been pretty awesome. 40 days at the feet of the resurrected Jesus, just learning about the kingdom of God. The apostles got that time and they've recorded much of that in scripture. So Jesus talks about the kingdom, but what is this kingdom of God? It's a big word here at a lot of church. You read it a ton in your Bible. What is kingdom of God? Well, very simply, kingdom is the rule of God on earth. 
The kingdom of God is the rule of God on earth. The kingdom of God is the the group or the people through whom God's authority is exercised on earth. And, And that kingdom of God has taken multiple forms in the history of Scripture. So think Old Testament. Think about your Old Testament, what you know about it. What form was the kingdom of God in the Old Testament? Well, for most of the Old Testament, it was Israel. The the nation of Israel, those genetic descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were promised land from the Nile River to the Euphrates, and peace, and prosperity, and fertility. God made all these promises to the nation of Israel and said, I will fulfill all of these promises if you remain loyal to me. But if you've read the Old Testament, you know, it didn't work out well. They didn't remain loyal. And so most of the Old Testament is about how God remains faithful even when his people do not. He faithfully comes down and promises a a new covenant where he will take away their spirit of rebellion and replace it with his Holy Spirit who will give them the desire to obey so that they can receive all the promises. So here we are in Acts 1 and Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit who they've been waiting centuries to receive. It's about to come. And so the disciples asked a natural question, very reasonable question. Is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is coming, are you bringing the kingdom back to the nation of Israel? Notice Jesus doesn't say, guys, you don't get it. Quit worrying about Israel. We're done. No, no, he doesn't do that. All he says is it's not for you to know the time or the place when God will do it. We learn later in the book of of Revelation that God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel when Jesus returns. When he comes back to earth, Israel, the nation of Israel, will be restored. But until that day, God is at work in a new way on the planet earth. God is at work through a a new form of the kingdom that's about to begin. Acts chapter 2, we'll see this new kingdom. It's called the church. The church is the the new form of the kingdom of God on earth, and it's very different than the nation of Israel. The church is a a kingdom unlike the previous kingdom. As you look at the church, as you think about the church as it's revealed in Scripture, you notice it's, it's not military and it's not political. We have no army. We have no politicians. We don't run governments. We don't collect taxes. We don't enforce borders. That's none of our jobs. That's not how it works in the church. The church isn't a nation like Israel was. Actually, the church is transnational. It transcends all nations. The church is is multi-ethnic and multinational. All people on the planet are welcomed into the church. That's true of the church as a whole. It's true of every local church. So Grace Bible Church is not a white American church. No. We are the church. We are open to all nationalities, all races, all languages, all ethnic and economic groups are welcome here at Grace Bible Church. That's why, funny thing, you may think of Southwood as our second campus. We had Anderson, then we opened Southwood. Actually, we're the third. Second is the Mandarin campus. Started a number of years ago, Mandarin, Grace Mandarin Bible Church. They meet at 701 Anderson, about a hundred who come out and the whole service is in Mandarin and they're mostly Chinese nationals and they are Grace Bible Church. Because Grace Bible Church is bigger than any nation, any racial group, any ethnic group. We are all together. Okay, so the church, this new form of the kingdom is unlike the old form of the kingdom. It is composed of all nations and all groups together in this mysterious body called the church. 
And Acts is the story of of the unstoppable growth of this new form of the kingdom of God on earth. The The church just explodes in the book of Acts. Grows from a few people in Jerusalem all the way to the capital of the Roman Empire. And so as we see this explosive growth of the church, it's not going to come through marching armies or, or politicians or economic growth. It's going to come, all this growth is going to come through witnesses of Jesus. It is through people witnessing about Jesus that this church is going to grow. Jesus gives us our job description in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We'll talk about that in a moment. And you shall be my witnesses. That is your job description. That is our mission as a church, to be witnesses of Jesus. Now, before we define that term, witness, let's make sure we see what's not there. So Jesus does not say that your job description on earth is to go to college and get married and have kids and buy a house. Those are all good things, but none of those are why you're here on the planet earth. None of those are essential to your life. Apostle Paul never went to college. Amy Carmichael, great missionary to India, never got married. John Calvin, never raised kids. None of those are essential. That's not why you're here on the planet. Notice Jesus also doesn't say, you're here to go to church on Sundays and worship me. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you showed up this morning. I'm glad you're worshiping, but that's not why you're here. Why? Because you could do that better in heaven. Let's just be honest. Jason, awesome worship service, but there were no choirs of angels, and there was no God exalted on his throne. We didn't have that this morning. If you were dead and in heaven, you would. So worship's way better in heaven. That's not why you're on this planet. Why has God left you here? For one reason, to be his witness. The witnesses of Jesus Christ, that's the only reason that God has left us on this planet. But what does that mean, to be a witness? Well, witness is actually a legal term, court of law kind of term in the first century. It meant one who testifies to the truth of something. A witness is one who declares the truth of some event, that it really happened, like a witness in a court. Okay, so what is the event they were testifying the truth of? Well, Luke told us at the end of part one of the story, end of the book of Luke, He quotes Jesus. Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. You are here on earth to be a witness, to testify to the truth That Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, died on the cross and rose from the dead so that everyone who comes to God can have forgiveness as a free gift. That is the message that we testify. Now, the apostles actually saw that with their own eyes. They were witnesses of the person of Jesus because they saw Jesus in the flesh. We haven't. We haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. We're not witnesses of the person of Jesus. We are witnesses of the power and love of Jesus Christ. We are witnesses of Jesus' power and love because even though we have not seen Jesus in the flesh with our eyes, we have seen Jesus work in us. We have seen Jesus deliver each of us from the guilt of sin. 
And we have seen Jesus give us unexplainable joy and peace and life. And we have seen Jesus unite us to this family, this community. We have seen Jesus work powerfully to transform our lives. So we are witnesses of the power and love of Jesus and now we're to testify to the truth of that, that Jesus really died and really rose so we could be forgiven and transformed for the glory of God. So we're witnesses of that fact. We declare that truth. That's why you're on earth, to be a witness. And and being a witness, what that means is that you speak truth about Jesus and then you back up that truth with the quality of the life you live. You witness in words and in deeds. In your words and your deeds, you're talking about the greatness and love of Jesus Christ. Great commentary, a great commentator from Scotland, a man named William Barclay who lived some time ago, He said, there are two great days in a person's life, the day we are born and the day we discover why. Now you know. This is why you were born. I love the word born because it works both ways. Born the first time biologically, born the second time spiritually. Reason you were born on earth and reborn in the spirit is so that you would be a witness of the power and love of Jesus Christ to the world. That is your reason for existing on this planet. Everything else you'll do better in heaven. You'll pray better in heaven. You'll obey better in heaven. You'll worship better in heaven. But you can't testify in heaven. Because everyone there already knows. You can only be here and testify. These people here on earth, they don't know. And so we're here to tell them about the greatness and love of Jesus Christ. That's what your life is about. That's why you're here on the planet earth. Now you know the reason why you were born. So, Acts is the story of the unstoppable growth of God's kingdom, that is the church, through witnesses of Jesus who are empowered by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a major part of the book of Acts. In fact, if you want to think about who's the main character of Acts, it's really not Peter, it's really not Paul, it's really not Barnabas, it's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work through all of these different people advancing God's kingdom. So the Holy Spirit is, is powerfully at work in the book of Acts and he's doing two things in, in this book. The first thing that we're gonna see him do is he's gonna join us to Jesus' church. That's the point of verse five. Look again at verse five. Jesus said, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we're gonna talk about baptism at length in two weeks. All you need to know right now, the basic idea of baptism is it identifies a person with a group. So John the Baptist at the Jordan River, he dunks people in the water. Why is he doing that? To identify those Israelites with the coming kingdom of Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit baptizes us. What's he doing? He's identifying us with the church of Jesus Christ. He's making us part of the church. That's what Paul talks about, 1 Corinthians 12, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, that's not talking about Grace Bible Church. That's talking about the church worldwide. The moment you believe that you trusted in Jesus, the moment you trusted in him for salvation, the spirit identified you, baptized you into the church. You became forever a part of Jesus' body, the church. That's the first thing the Spirit's going to do. He's going to join you to the church. But the second thing that the Spirit's going to do in the book of Acts is he is going to empower our witness in word and deed. The Spirit's going to give us the power to do what God has called us to do. 
I'm curious, how many of you have seen The Princess Bride? Most of you? Good. That wasn't as many as I'd hoped. If you've not seen The Princess Bride, you are wrong, and you need to fix that. Princess Bride is an incredibly important movie. It is inconceivable to me that you have not seen (laughs) this movie, and it breaks my heart that some of you don't know why that was funny. So please, watch Princess Bride. For those of you who have seen it, you know that towards the end of the movie, our hero, Wesley, he dies, or rather mostly dies, and he's brought back to life by Miracle Max just in time to go storm the castle. The problem is he has no strength. He, he can't walk, can't stand, can't even hold his head up straight. And so he's, he's sitting in front of the castle trying to figure out how to get in with no strength. Well, that's you. In, in this life that God has called us to live as witnesses for Jesus Christ, we are Wesley standing in front of the castle. No, not even able to stand in front of the castle. We don't have the power to do it. We cannot be the witnesses that God has called us to be. We don't have the strength in ourselves to do that. We can't say what God has called us to say. We can't do what God has called us to do. It's one thing to say that you're going to be a witness for Jesus, but when it's your life on the line or your job on the line or your reputation on the line, are you going to have the words to say? Are you going to have the courage to speak those words? And as hard as it is to speak those words, it's even harder to live out the deeds that God has called us to use to prove our message. We prove the truth of the gospel by living Christ-like lives. But think about how righteous Jesus was. I'm not righteous like Jesus. I'm not loving like Jesus. I'm not humble like Jesus. I'm not patient like Jesus. I cannot live the life that I've been called to live. I don't have the strength in me. Having kids has shown me that. It's proven that to me. I've got two five-year-olds. I never have enough patience in myself to make it through the day with them. By the end of the day, my patience is done and I'm going to blow up at them if I don't have help. And so every day I get in the car, leaving work, so we're about 5 p.m., I'm getting in my car, leaving work, and I am praying, God, please give me the strength. Be patient with my kids because I can't do it in myself. I need you. I need your help. So we need help from the Holy Spirit to, to say what we cannot say and do what we cannot do. Fortunately, in Acts chapter 4, Peter is arrested and he's brought in front of the Sanhedrin, who's the same group of rulers who just crucified Jesus. So it's a pretty fearful moment for Peter. He could die in that moment. And yet Luke tells us that as Peter stood there, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and then began to speak. And if you read his speech, it's beautiful. It's incredible. It's powerful. It's courageous. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. He gives us the courage to speak about Jesus even when everything is on the line. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give us the words to say, he gives us deeds, he gives us character to back up our testimony. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't have any of that in me. None of that is the fruit of Blake. I can't do any of that stuff, but God can His spirit can come into my life, invade my life, and give me the strength to love, the strength to have peace, the strength to be patient. The Holy Spirit, he is the main actor in the book of Acts. It's about him. As he fills the lives of men and women to do supernatural things, incredible things, he gives them the supernatural power to say what they cannot say and do what they cannot do so they can be the witnesses that Jesus has called them to be. That's what it'll do in your life. As God continues to write Acts 29 in and through your life, his spirit will give you the strength to say what you cannot say and do what you cannot do so that you can be a witness for Jesus Christ. Okay, so the book of Acts, it's about the 
unstoppable growth of God's kingdom through witnesses of Jesus who are empowered by the Spirit and called to reach every nation. Jesus says in verse 8 that there to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's actually a geographic table of contents for the book of Acts. That's how the book of Acts is going to play out, the gospel going broader and broader to each of those places. So here's your outline of Acts. In chapters 1 through 7, the gospel's in Jerusalem, growing in that city. Chapter 8 through 12, it moves out to Judea and Samaria. 13 through 20, it fans out to the ends of the earth. And then 21 through 28, it moves to the capital of the ends of the earth, the city of Rome. So Acts moves geographically, but ultimately it's not about nations, it's about people. Acts is about how the gospel spreads among people. So the first seven chapters are about the gospel among the Jews, just Jewish people. It starts there, then chapter eight, it moves to the Samaritans who are half Jews, and then chapter 10, it moves to the Gentiles who are all the rest of us, and it just keeps growing from there. So you look at the book of Acts and you realize that it's about how the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is reaching out to all people. That's what Jesus wants to happen. He told us at the end of the book of Matthew, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all groups of people on earth. You're to reach all of them. And then we find out at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we actually get a vision to, to see the end of the story. The very end of the story, when God has accomplished all that God wants to accomplish, we are told, Revelation 7, John sees into the future, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our job is to help make that happen. That's the purpose of this church. That's the purpose of every one of us here, to help reach all people, all languages, all nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Now, I didn't understand that as a kid. I I grew up in a Bible church a lot like this, and every year we had a missions conference. So for one week, they'd invite missionaries from all over the world to come talk. And, and from that, I developed this feeling, this sense that missions was for people who really liked to travel or people who knew a lot of foreign languages or radical people who liked to live in mud huts. That's who missions is for. We see them once a year, but the rest of life is for the rest of us. But since that time, I've come to see that missions is actually for all of us because missions is the task of the church and we are the church. Missionaries are not the church. (laughs) No, we are the church, all of us, including them. And so our job, every person in this room, is world missions, to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you all have to go live in mud huts, but it does mean that every single one of us in this room should be participating in real ways in the task of world missions, Very practically, every one of you should have some time every week when you are praying for a missionary you know or when you are working to earn money to give to somebody who's going with the gospel. And at some point in our lives, every one of us should go, even just for a short-term trip. Every one of us should be on the field at some point to be involved in the task of reaching the nations for Christ. Now, we're going to talk a lot more in about six weeks. We're going to have our missions conference because we're a Bible church. We do that. Global Outreach Week. We're going to invite a bunch of crazy missionaries, radical missionaries, but we're going to share with you how you can get involved in the task, how you can pray, how you can give, and how you can go. 
We'll walk you through all those things. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning, very practically, I'm going to ask you today to start praying. I want you to start praying for two things. First of all, that God would give you a heart for the nations. I want you to begin to pray that God would break your heart over the people groups on this planet who don't yet know anything about Jesus. I want to ask that God would make your heart uncomfortable to live in contentment with the status quo, that, that you would long for the gospel to go to people who have not yet heard. So pray that God would break your heart over the nations, that he would give you a, a passion to see the nations reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray that he give you a particular nation or a particular people group that you'll really care about and love. So pray for, for a heart for the nations. And then second, I want to ask you to begin praying that God will, will show you what he wants you to do this fall to be involved in the task of world missions. Pray that he would bring you to a missionary who you can support, someone you can pray for, or an opportunity where you can go. Okay, so please begin to pray for that regular heart for the nations and an opportunity to be involved. Okay, so the story of Acts is the story of the unstoppable growth of God's kingdom through witnesses of Jesus who are empowered by the Spirit and called to reach every nation until Jesus returns. Until Jesus returns. Remember, I said Acts is a triumphant book. Let me show you some of that triumph. Look with me again at verse 9. It says, And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Now we'll pause there. So, so the disciples have just seen Jesus ascend into heaven, and it is such an incredible thing, remarkable thing, that it says literally in Greek, they stared. They just stood there, mouth open, staring because Jesus just went into heaven. I would have done the same thing. They stare for so long that God has to send two angels to kind of snap them out. Guys, we got work to do. Come on, stop staring. Um, But what's really significant is what these two angels say. Look again at verse 11. They, the angels, also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And here's a significant part. Even though we don't know when Jesus will come back, we do know how. When he comes back, it's going to be like when he ascended into heaven. Everybody's going to see it. He's going to come down from the clouds in power and in glory. Okay, so the first time Jesus arrived on earth, that first Christmas Eve morning, it was incognito. He was in disguise. No one noticed him coming. He came in humility. He came just the way that all of us come, through, through childbirth. And so the world missed it. No one knew, but Mary and Joseph, a few shepherds, and some animals. It's all who witnessed the first coming of Jesus, but it's not going to be like that when he comes back. It's not coming incognito not coming in humility. He's coming in the sky. And it tells us Revelation 19, he's going to come with a crown and a sword on a white horse blazing across the sky for all the world to see. And he will come in power and glory and victory and he will conquer all evil. He will rule over the world and he will restore all righteousness. And so why does that matter? Because what God is telling you is you are on the winning team. You've picked the right team to be on because Jesus is coming back and he's going to win. Right now, we're just waiting for our star quarterback to come back. And when he does, when he takes the field, it's not going to be a close game. In fact, he's not going to need any of us. He doesn't need linemen or running backs. He doesn't need any of that. He's just going to take the ball and he's going to get it done. And that's going to be the end. 
Jesus will win. That's the point. Jesus will win on that day when he returns, and that gives you confidence and strength so that you can do your job now. Until the quarterback comes back, our job is to be his witnesses to every people, to every nation on earth, telling them the good news that there is a God who loves them. A God who came in the flesh to die on the cross for their sins and rise from the dead so that they could be forgiven and have life as an absolutely free gift. That's how we advance the kingdom of God on earth by being witnesses for Jesus. That's the one reason you are still on this planet. I love how John Stott put it. The church is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, and by the work of the Spirit, not by force of arms, but a little intrigue or revolutionary violence. We are witnesses of Jesus declaring a message of eternal peace to a world that desperately needs it. That's why you're here, to be a witness. And so let me end with a couple questions for you to think about. Number one, are you part of the story yet? Are you part of the story of the book of Acts? You you become part of this story when you become part of God's people, the church, through faith in Jesus Christ. The moment that you believe that Jesus really existed and he really died for your sins and rose from the dead so that you can have forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift. The moment you believe that, God makes you part of the story of the book of Acts. You become part of the church. Now, if there's something keeping you back, if it's just too hard to believe that that Jesus existed, that he died, that he rose from the dead, if it's just too hard to to believe that that God loves you so much that he'd give you heaven as a free gift, I wanna invite you, please, please will you come talk with me? Or shoot me an email. If you're too nervous to come up here, just send me an email during the week. It's just my full name, Blake Jennings at grace-bible.org and talk to me about why it's hard to believe. I understand. I really do. Faith is not easy for me. So talk to me and let's start to talk about that. Let's get you written in to the story of the book of Acts. Now for all of us who are part of the story, who are part of of Jesus' body, the church, the question we need to ask, very simple, are we being witnesses? That's what this all boils down to. Are we being witnesses of the truth and reality of Jesus and and his power and his love at work in our lives? Are we being witnesses? A few things that you can do as you think about being a witness for Jesus. Number one, think about are you ready to share your faith? So on the way home today, if you run into a friend who doesn't yet know Jesus, you're at the store, hanging out, going to lunch, and he asks you or she asks you, how can I know that I'm going to heaven when I die? How is it that you know that you're going to go? Are you ready to answer that question? Can you walk them through the gospel? Can you explain it to them? If you can't, if you hesitate and say, man, I'm not sure I'm ready to share the gospel. I don't exactly know how to answer that question. Then we've got an awesome opportunity for you starting next week. September 6th and September 13th, just two Sundays at 11 a.m. right here at Southwood in room 501. You don't have to sign up for it. Just go over there. We're going to take you through a class where we teach you how to share the gospel. We're going to prepare you so that you can remember it, so that you can share it easily. We're going to give you a, a very practical, simple, clear, and concise way to share the good news about Jesus. So if you're not ready to answer that question today, if you can't tell someone how to trust in Jesus, how to find eternal life, go to that class starting next Sunday, just two weeks at 11 o'clock. Okay, so be ready to share your faith. Second, be ready to share your testimony, your story. 
So when we get to talk to someone, they don't usually ask us, how do I know I can go to heaven? That'd be nice if everybody asked that. Usually the conversation begins with us sharing our story. What is it that gives me hope in life? What is it that gets me through the day? What is it that I care about? That's your story, your testimony. Are you ready to share it? Your story about life before Jesus, encountering Jesus after Jesus. Do you have it worked out in your mind? You want to be ready to share it in a three-minute version. That's really the goal. Three minutes, that's about how long it takes to get on the bus and get most of the way to the MSC. So you just got a little bit of time. Or, or for those of you who are working, it's, it's over the lunch break. You got three minutes. So in three minutes, you can share your story of encountering Jesus. Have your testimony figured out. Know how you can share your story. Finally and most important, I want you to begin to pray for three people by name who need to hear about Jesus. So right now, I want you to think three people in your life that don't know Jesus. Maybe they've heard about him, but they haven't yet trusted in him. There's something keeping them back. I want you to picture their faces. I want you to see their names. Okay, what I want to ask you to do is to begin to pray for these three people every week from now until we finish the book of Acts. This is my big application for the whole fall. Here it is right here. Three people. I want you to picture three people who you can be a witness to. And so as we go through the book of Acts this fall, week after week, I want you praying for these three people by name. I want you to pray for their salvation. I want you to pray that God will work in their lives to open their eyes to the need for a savior. I want you to pray that God will give you a chance to share your story and share the gospel with them. I want you to begin to pray for these three people and their salvation every week. I pray that God will give you an opportunity to share because that's what your life is about. That's why you're on earth. So you want to think about this fall. What is this fall about? Well, ultimately, it's not about your classes or your grades or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your family or your house or your car or your job, even though all those things are good. Life this fall is about those three people and being the witness that God has called you to be of the love and power of Jesus Christ to those three people. That's why you're on this planet. That's the only reason God has left you here is so that you can testify to the truth that there is a God in heaven who loves them. Let's begin to pray every week for those three people in our lives. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God would use us to testify to them the truth of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you have sent your Son to die for us and rise from the dead so that we could have life. Without Jesus, life would not be worth living. Without Jesus, we would not have a story to share. Without Jesus, we would have nothing to say to the world. It is only because of him that we have hope. But now that Jesus has come and and has died and has risen from the dead and has ascended into heaven, I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit and give us courage and boldness to be witnesses of Jesus to the people around us. I pray, Father, that you would give us courage to speak about Jesus even when it costs us. I pray that you would give us strength to live like Jesus, to be righteous like Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would give us a love for people who don't yet know Jesus. I pray that you would give us a love for the nations that are still in the dark. I pray, Father, that we would dedicate our lives, our time, our money, our energy, our resources to being the witnesses you have called us to be to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for calling us into this church, for giving us the opportunity to participate in the story you are writing today. I pray that our part of Acts 29 would be faithful 
that it would glorify and lift you high. Thank you for your son in whose name we pray. Amen. I'll see you guys next week as we continue the book of Acts.